The world continues to change no matter how much we try to stop it. But we still have WCSU 411, the podcast that goes behind the scenes at Western Connecticut State University. I'm Paul Steinmetz, and today we're going to look into the future with Dr. Bill Joel, a computer science professor. We'll learn about research tools with Library Director Veronica Knausis. We're going to hear from Dr. Rada Krell, who will bring us Girl Scouts and Beetle Larvae. And we'll discuss free speech and what it means to create a safe campus with our co-host, Chantel Williams. Our engineer is Pete Puccio. Sounds like another good lineup, Pete. Oh, yeah. And now, Pete, are you a member of the alt-right? Oh, good Lord. Uh, no. No, I'm not. You're not a neo-Nazi? No, no sir. Uh, you're more of a tax and spend liberal? <laughs> That fits right in with I'm us. Not really the labels. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably better in today's day and age. We'll get into that later. Wow. Now we have uh, Dr. Bill Joel bringing us a uh, look into the future. <laughs> He's not expecting that. <laughs> <laughs> Fifty years ago, two computers communicated directly with each other. One computer at UCLA sent a message to another at Stanford University. Before that, computers were not connected and they likely each spoke a different language. So you had to send information over dedicated hardwire lines. So lots changed since that October day in 1969 and we brought in Dr. William Joel, one of Westcon's computer science professors, to ask what the next 50 years will bring. Dr. Joel, you're the director of the Graphics and Interactive Techniques Research Group. You're also chair of the steering committee for the Massive Collaborative Animation Projects Initiative, as well as teaching here at Westcon. So let's talk about uh, the future. Whoa. <laughs> uh, don't really have a crystal ball, but... Um, the future of computing is that it's going to look a lot like it does today. Mm -hmm. It's just that it's going to be much more, uh, how can I say, everyday? Mm. Though, I mean, computers today, uh, we, we, think of, we don't really think about all the different ways that we use computer technology. I mean, for example, right now I'm staring out the window of the studio that we're sitting in, and I'm seeing the monitors, and your engineer is doing everything digitally. Mm -hmm. Whereas when I was back in college, uh, I was on the radio station, I was one of the DJs, and we also had to learn engineering, and everything was mechanical. Mm -hmm. Mechanical pots, the knobs, mechanical sliders. Uh, the closest we got to anything that was not mechanical were the... Uh, magnetic tape cartridges that we recorded the advertisements on. Does this sound? In, I, I mean, I'm hearing giggles from our. <laughs> I'm hearing giggles from the engineer, and you know things have changed. I mean, you, you look around, and uh, my son just bought a brand new car, and uh, well, brand new used car, mm -hmm. new car for him, and of course, it's got on the dashboard, it's got the image of the rear of the car, mm -hmm. and cars today are a lot more intelligent than they were even just 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. And I always joke about the fact that when I was a kid growing up in Brooklyn and Queens in New York City, you would think nothing about going out onto the street and fixing your car yourself. Yep. I wouldn't dare do it today. No. <laughs> I wouldn't even know where to start. Mm -mm. It's just so... The engine is not complex as an engine. It's complex because of all 
the computer-based controls that are there to make sure that it runs as efficiently as it can. Mm -hmm. um, so computer technology is just rampant, and it's just going to become more and more and more an average part of our life. Mm -hmm. uh, if you're talking about the future of computing, the one area which seems to be becoming more prevalent again is what people talk about as AI, artificial intelligence. Now, what they talk about as artificial intelligence today, when I started in computing, that would have been called expert systems. Hmm. True artificial intelligence means uh, a system that can learn anything at any time on its own, just the way a human does. That's what we, that's what was termed artificial intelligence. But today, these are rather complex, let's call them, we'll call them AI, but they're really expert systems, meaning they're highly intelligent and can learn, mm -hmm. but only in a very narrow field. I'll give you an example. Uh, there was a uh, program on PBS just over the last week or so talking about smart cars, self-driving cars, and it's not really there yet. Mm -hmm but they're getting closer and closer and closer. In fact, DARPA, uh, they, rather, was it DARPA or? No, it was the uh, Defense, Department of Defense. They had this grand challenge. They did it three times where they had to, uh, you had to create a car that could drive itself on an obstacle path. Mm. Um, and in this course, the, 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 uh, the people who, entered, they had no idea what the course was going to look like. Nothing. So they had to prepare for anything. The first time they did it, I think it was a 240-mile obstacle course. No car got past eight miles. Mm. That's pretty good. The second time they did it, uh, a couple of years later, I believe they had three cars that completed it. Mm. And then the third time they did it, they instead of having a an obstacle course that was away from everyone else. It was, you know, a little self-contained obstacle course. They created an obstacle course that was out in a city, going down city streets, et cetera, having to deal with everyday traffic. And I think there were still a few cars that actually made it all the way through. Mm -hmm. um, but, the, but this is just an example of the kind of technology that is coming much, much, much more than we, than we realize. So it strikes me that uh, nowadays... For most people, it's impossible to think about leaving your house without your uh, smartphone or being able to use email. It's just become so much uh, part of our lives that uh, so maybe 50 years ago from now or even less, it'll be impossible to think of uh, what's your holding there, a little flip phone? I have a flip phone. I don't own a smartphone. Oh, boy. <laughs> How did that happen? Well, that happened because I have more computers than you can imagine mm. all over the place. In my house, uh, in my satchel right now, and mm. my iPad, I have I have enough computers. I don't need another computer on my on my my, my cell phone. I don't need that. But yeah, you're right. <laughs> um, yeah. So you think 50 years from now, it'll be uh, people living 50 years from now will be thinking back, how did they ever make it through the day back in 2019? Well, don't we do that today when we think about going back before the age of uh, telephone, hmm. when the only way you could communicate was by the written letter? 
And there was something called a fax where, uh, you know. What was it, that? <laughs> it, was, <laughs> it was great when it first uh, became uh, useful, but hey, man. I, I had a dedicated phone line in my house for fax right. also so I could receive and send. Yes. This whole thing of landlines for phones is just so antiquated now. The changes, but you have to remember, the changes are slow. They're not, we really haven't had any of the technological changes have not been overnight changes. Mm -hmm. They've been very slow, um, very carefully implemented. When I say carefully implemented, I mean that, you know, just a little little improvement here, a little better here, a little better here. Uh, for example, there's, a, there's something called Moore's Law, mm -hmm. which talks about um, computing power. Originally, they would say it would double every year, but then it about five or ten years ago, they said, no, it's not every year. It's every year and a half, meaning it's slowing, mm -hmm. but it's still improving. You're still improving the power. And by power, we're talking about speed of the computers, uh, the amount of space that you can store information and data. Mm -hmm. uh, that's improving. Um, I mean, you, you're talking about uh, communication, because that's what you. I think that's what you're starting with. You talk yes. about ARPANET, mm -hmm. and that's only one part of it. Mm. That's only one part of it, uh, because you have to remember ARP. When you talk about the communication channels, uh, Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, et cetera, et cetera, mm -hmm. that's just the highway. And if you have, don't have the cars and the trucks to go on the highway, the highway is useless. Why build it? Mm -hmm. Well, the cars and the trucks, it's, they are, the, the, they are the, the software. And what they're carrying is the data. Mm. You know, the mm -hmm. load on the truck, that's the data. Mm -hmm. And the truck is the software. And, if you don't ha and what's happening is we're developing better and better software. Interestingly enough, the software that is being developed, the techniques that are being used have been known for a long, long time. It's just that those techniques could never be practically implemented because the computers weren't fast enough. Mm -hmm. Now that the computers are fast enough, these techniques that before people thought, oh, it would take ages for any one of these programs to complete executing, today they execute in a matter of, well, fractions of seconds. So we already know the techniques. We know what to do with the computers. We're just waiting for the computers to get faster, for the mm -hmm. systems to get faster. That's interesting. And they are. Mm -hmm. They are. Uh, in, in fact, right now, one of the one of the the newer avenues of computing, and unfortunately, this is not an area that I'm as familiar with. Uh, Dr. Dan Kaufman in our department, he is much more familiar with it. Is quantum computing, mm -hmm. and quantum computing is it's a type of computing that is quite different than the type that people like myself we grew up with. Uh, how computers work, how they store data, how they process. This type of computing probably is going to increase computing capacity both in how much data can be stored, processed, speed, etc., by several orders of magnitude. It's still in the, uh, it's still research. Mm -hmm. I mean, a quantum computer still cost millions of dollars to create just one computer. It is not something you can go down to, 
your local uh, Best Buy and mm-hmm. pick, <laughs> pick up for under 1000 or something. It's not there yet. But it, I would say maybe in about 30, 40 years. Hmm. That's interesting. 30 or 40 years. There's, there is, uh, people are working on the applications for quantum computers now, right? Mm-hmm. They know what they will do with them when they become. Yeah. Uh, and they're, they're, already, they're already creating programs which they're actually executing on quantum computers. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe there's an article recently that Google actually did that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Google's involved, IBM's involved, several other companies involved with it. But it's still, it's still in the research lab. Mm-hmm. It's just far too expensive. Um, for example, one of the things to make quantum computers work is uh, right now the only way they know to maintain the speed of the circuits is to have them literally dipped in liquid nitrogen. Mm. <laughs> that seems complex. Complex and expensive and rather messy. Mm-hmm. Um, but they are work to, they're trying to look for other techniques that are less, less intense. Mm to maintain that speed in the circuits, to maintain the capability of the circuits. Mm-hmm. And they'll get there. Right. But I don't think it's going to be, it's not going to be overnight. None of the changes we've seen have been overnight. I mean, if you look back at, let's see, uh, Apple computer desktop, that emerged in the late 70s. Uh, by the way, there actually was an Apple One computer. Everybody knows the Apple Two. Yeah. There was an Apple One. Hmm. The box was actually made of plywood, believe it or not. <laughs> yeah, it existed. Um, then around the very beginning of the 1980s, actually around 1980, came out the first IBM personal computer. Now, I'm, 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 you notice I'm skipping mainframe computers, et cetera, mm-hmm. because mainframe computers were not in the hands of the average person. Right. So, but it was with the advent of the personal computer. Uh, and by the way, before you had Apples and IBMs, you had hobbyists who were building computers mm. probably back into the 60s. But starting in around the ni- early 1980s, there was an explosion. And that's where we started to get computers into the hands, computer technology into mm-hmm. the hands of the average person. But that's what? Uh, that's about 40 years ago, 39, 40 years ago. So it's been very slow. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. It's been a very slow progress, but it has been a steady progress. And uh, it's affected how you teach in the labs here, right? Very much so. When I first started teaching, uh, let's say, a, a general course for the general populace in a school, and this is going back, I started teaching in 1983, um, you actually would have taught students how to use word processing. Mm-hmm. No one would even dare think of teaching word processing. And in fact, in some of the intro classes for like for computer use, mm-hmm. I still teach uh, electronic spreadsheets. Mm-hmm. Uh, but who knows? Maybe in another 10 years, that will be a moot point also. Because they'll just kind of fill themselves every, in. You mean? Everybody will know it. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Uh, what about the Raspberry Pis? What are you doing with those? <laughs> raspberry Pis are very interesting. They're, they're, it's one brand of a whole slew of products they call single-board computers. Mm-hmm. A Raspberry Pi is a, bo- is a circuit board about two inches by three inches approximately. Mm-hmm. On it is everything you would find on the logic board inside of any typical desktop computer. Mm. Everything. 
Uh, it's not as fast as a desktop computer. It doesn't have as much memory, but it does have all the components. Mm -hmm. And it does have connections on the board where you can plug in a monitor, you can plug in a keyboard, plug in a mouse, plug in a power supply, bam, it runs. Mm -hmm. And it is, and what it does is it puts for a lot of people uh, a certain amount of computing power where they can actually start playing with it. And I, on my iPad, I have a piece of software called an aggregator, and that basically pulls articles from all over the internet down mm -hmm. to me mm -hmm. so I can scan them and some I should read. And you cannot imagine the things that people are building <laughs> with these because, uh, because you have raspberry pies, orange pies, <laughs> banana pies. <laughs> these are all different companies putting right. them out. Uh, and there are all others. There's, there's probably at least a good dozen br uh, companies mm -hmm. which are putting out these single board computers. Beyond the single board computer, there's another level below that, which are circuits, uh, circuit boards, which are used for controlling devices. They're not a, they're not general purpose computers. These are devices that once you program, they will do one thing mm -hmm. over and over again, kind of like the, the processors we put in your toaster oven, mm -hmm. or in your refrigerator, hmm. or the few dozen that are in your car. They're, they're single-purpose. They're programmed for one thing. And these boards, you can change what they're programmed for, but once you program them, they'll do the same thing over and over again unless you reprogram for something else. Uh -huh. Unlike your desktop where you can use almost do almost anything with it. Right. Uh, good, good, good example of these other controllers is the Arduino. Hmm. And uh, those... <laughs> Those are even cheaper than they are. They, they can be even cheaper than the uh, Raspberry Pi. Hmm. There's a version of the Arduino, which it's their very, very small board, probably about three quarters of an inch by maybe an inch and a half. Hmm. Very tiny board, has the processor on it. What you don't get are the uh, connectors to connect other cords. If you want to connect anything, you have to solder wire onto it to make the connections. Mm -hmm. Uh, but that little board I was talking about for controlling, uh, I've been able to pick them up for about $3 a piece. <laughs> yeah, pretty amazing, huh? Yeah, I know. The Raspberry Pi is $35 for the newest version, low end. Mm -hmm. High end, which means more memory, is only $60. Mm. The Arduinos are about $30 also for the for the regular board. If you get their little mini board, again, it's uh, about $3. The Raspberry Pi also has a mini version, which is $10. Oh, my God. Now, again, you... The mini versions, you have to do, you have to literally solder connections. You just don't plug in. <laughs> right. So what are you teaching your students to do? What are your students learning to do with these things? Well, why well, I work with students with them, with the, it's through the, uh, the Graphics and Interactive Techniques group. Mm -hmm. And we're doing lots of things. Like, for example, there is a technology out in the field in the, um, in the media industry called motion capture. Mm-hmm. You, people probably seen this. People wearing the black suits with little white dots on them. Right. You know, uh, you, I'm sure a lot of people have seen the the YouTube videos of the actors going through their paces, say for Avatar, mm -hmm. et cetera. That's motion capture. Mm -hmm. Those systems cost minimally several tens of thousands, if not up to maybe a hundred thousand dollars or more. Because of the Raspberry Pis, we're building one for a thousand dollars. That's very cool. Yeah, it is very cool. Uh, we, we've done two years of work on it already. We do most of the work during the summer. Mm -hmm. uh, students have done two years. 
Uh, last summer, we took a year off, and I said, we need, we, we need to release what we've done so far open source, meaning anybody can take it and go forward with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I had the students go through all the documentation and make sure it's readable. <laughs> all the, it's grammatically correct. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's the spelling is correct. Get it in, into a shape that we could then distribute it electronically, digitally, mm-hmm. online, that anybody can. And then next summer, we're hoping to do the third and final year of the production of this system. And we should have the whole system designed and ready to go. That'll be great. So, what do you think? Movie theater, uh, movie uh, producers will use no, it, or no? It's it's uh, Raspberry Pis aren't as fast as the kind of oh, yeah. computers that are used in these systems. Mm-hmm. Um, it is functionally a motion capture system, mm-hmm. but it is nowhere near an in- industry standard. But I see it for maybe a hobbyist, mm-hmm. but also for schools that can't afford tens of thousands of dollars. They could have their students build one for a thousand, maybe a little bit more, and they could experiment with using motion capture that they would never had a chance to do before. Right. Oh, that's cool. I saw on your website you do also something uh, called pseudo fracture of glass. No, that was that, 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 that was something we were looking into uh, a while back. We we're looking at different ways of. Uh, if you had a piece of glass, a very very, very if you had a. In a say an animation, mm-hmm. you had a piece of glass in the animation. Mm-hmm. Could you make it look like it fractured? Mm-hmm. So we were just looking at some very very simple techniques for doing that. Um, but we're actually doing a lot of even more interesting things in animation right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of, one of the projects we're working on right now is uh, trying to quantify. Um, what we're calling aesthetic behavior of characters. And I'll give me an example. Uh, right away you can say, well, emotion, behaviors that reflect the emotion of the character, happy, sad, angry, etc. But also n- things that are not emotional, like fatigue, peppiness. This is not emotion. This is something different, more physiological mm-hmm. of these animated characters. And we're trying to quantify what it looks like within the data that drives the the motion in the animation mm-hmm. with the idea that, well, let me give you an example. Right now, if an animator wanted to make a character look happier in an animation, they'd have to go in and make changes in uh, not every frame, but in a certain number of frames frames are the images with the sequence of images with animation. Mm-hmm. They'd have to make changes literally in the data directly manually right they you know they would use you know they would use tools to move the characters around on the screen they wouldn't actually change the numbers directly mm-hmm. but it's still a fairly manual process what we're trying to do it is so that if somebody wanted to make the character more happy well they just look at the screen and say oh happiness level is set to 0.5 i'm going to make it 0.6 mm-hmm. that's it that would be a great boon to these uh, filmmakers. Well, right? not only filmmakers, the the uh, the area that we're looking for, even it's which is even more vast, mm-hmm. are game developers uh. who produce a heck of a lot of animation for all their games. Mm-hmm. And if they can, this would greatly improve the throughput. That animators here would be able to just crank out more animation because when the director says to the animator, "That looks pretty good," but can you make that character a little bit more, oh, I don't know, sloppy? Mm-hmm. 
You just change the number for sloppiness. <laughs> that would be cool. Yeah. Uh, right now, we've got our, our, our model, our mathematical model. We've uh, done some initial testing, and it looks correct. Hmm. Right now, it's the actually, the hard part is to collect enough animation samples to, to show whether or not our model meets the actual samples, whether it, they, they fit the model. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other part that we're having issues with is language hmm. that there isn't there isn't a true in the animation field there's not a really solid language for how to describe these types of behaviors with respect to motion um, there's a lot in the literature about describing these behaviors with respect to the physical appearance of the character the static appearance Facial expressions, very much so. But body, movement, hmm. not really there. We've started to find some, believe it or not, in the dance field. But even that's not as much as we would like. Because one thing we have to be able to do is if we want to, if we say, oh, we believe that this math describes a happy behavior, well, we need to be able to, to gather animation samples and with certainty say each of these samples the character is acting happily according to the definition of what a happy movement looks like. Mm-hmm. And the definition of a happy movement, sad movement, etc., it's not as nailed down. In fact, some of my students, when they've got out to the literature, what they keep running into is people saying, oh, you'll know it when you see it. <laughs> That's helpful. Not, uh, helps, <laughs> helps a lot. <laughs> That is fascinating. So, and that kind of explains why uh, computing advances are not overnight, right? They take a nope. long time of preparation. They do. And that's a great example of it. So, uh, before we started recording, you talked about how you predicted uh, the, uh, um, uh, the iPad, right? Well, um between 1989 and 1990, uh, I worked for one year at Yorktown, IBM's uh, site in Yorktown, the mm-hmm. research center. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't a researcher. I worked out of their graphics lab. And basically what I got to do was to help other researchers produce the graphics that supported their research. Um, actually, I had three tasks. One was to support support them in their work, to work on improving the systems that were used to produce graphics. Mm-hmm. And one day a week, I was told I could do whatever I wanted. That's a great gift. Literally, because they, they viewed the staff as much as researchers as anybody else. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I had a short paper accepted because of that one year. Mm. I had several internal reports. Uh, and a gentleman at the center by the name of Clifford Pickover was beginning to work on a book on the future of computing. I believe that was the title. And he knew that I was an educator, heavily involved, and he offered me to write the chapter on the future of computing and education. My prediction in my chapter was um, to create a tablet that was basically a computer Mm -hmm. with a touch screen. And that's what we have today. And my prediction was, is that, what did I say? came out around 1991 or so, the mm-hmm. book, I think, 1992. 
and I think I said something to the effect, we'll know that this type of technology will have really taken hold if the average high school student will think nothing more about leaving it on the kitchen table, running for the bus, than if they had left one of their textbooks mm-hmm. on the table running for the bus. Mm-hmm. And it's, that's pretty much come to part. It has. Uh, the only part about the tablet which I did not, I got wrong, and this is where the technology ex- really advanced a lot faster than I expected, was the hard drive. Mm. I expected the hard drive to still be a hard drive, meaning there's a little disk inside that's spinning, mm-hmm. magnetic disk, and and all of what happened is it would get it would get smaller and thinner and smaller and thinner until it's about the size of a credit card. I think is what I, the, you know, the dimensions and the thickness of a credit card. Mm-hmm. I had no idea about how what today we call solid state drives. Drives that basically have chips in them, mm-hmm. no mechanical parts. I didn't see this coming, hmm. and that was that was my only mistake. All right, so uh, I assume that you've been you think about this a lot, and um, what do you think is going to be one of the next big things um, uh, that consumers like us will be able to enjoy ten, twenty, thirty years down the line? I don't think it's going to be any individual component. Mm-hmm. Rather, it's going to be a very serious integration of all the technologies that we use on a regular basis. Mm. Uh, right now, uh, most of the computer-based systems, or I should say processor-based, take, take the word computer out, because mm-hmm. a lot of it there's a you know, a, a CPU, a chip in something, but it's 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 single purpose. It's not general purpose. Right. It's controlling some device. For the most part, they don't communicate with one another. But I do see what is going to start happening is it's already started, but it's going to become much more rampant. This, I think, is the next wave. Mm-hmm. They really are going to communicate with one another. Um, we see some of this already. For example, there are there are apps, AP, APP, which is mm-hmm. short for Application mm-hmm. Program. There are apps on your smartphone uh, to control and communicate with the security camera that's in the front of your house. Mm-hmm. So you can see through the Internet, through the, the connections, you can see what your ca- a camera on the front door of your house is seeing. Right. There are apps that can start your car uh, without before you leave the house. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's so there is this this connection between devices that's already occurring. Mm-hmm. This is going to become even more so. The thing though is nobody's really going to notice it. No one's going to go. Oh my God! Look what's happening. Mm-hmm. It's going to be very ubiquitous. It's going to be very slow and gradual until it's just simply there. The other thing I can see coming is it's already coming. Is a is a much much greater reliance on what most people what I call expert systems, but most people call intelligent systems. Mm-hmm. A much much greater reliance on it that I see now. In what direction? What areas will use it more than others? My crystal ball is foggy on that one. Hmm. 
That's interesting. Yeah. So we'll be kind of wrapped in this blanket of uh, computer software that will help us uh, navigate through the day then, right? Even yeah. more in the solar now. Well, we would hope. Mm-hmm. And what are the, you going to do yourself when they stop making uh, flip phones? <laughs> Yeah, you're, you're you're teasing me because I don't like I don't have the I don't have a smartphone. Um, I don't know. You but can make one yourself, I guess, out of a blackberry or a raspberry I, or whatever technology is out at that point. I probably could, mm. uh, or else maybe uh, hopefully by the time that that happens, they'll have the chip which is embedded behind your ear that when you want to start a phone conversation, you just tap the spot behind your ear and you're connected. <laughs> I, I, I've watched way too many science fiction movies. I'm now sorry. you're trying to scare us all. <laughs> well, Dr. Joel, thanks very much. Thank it's you really very much for really interesting talking me. with you about this. Thank you. We're bringing back Veronica Knausis, the library director here with our segment called In the Stacks. She's going to help all of us learn how to do research today. Yeah, research has changed significantly, even since uh, I was in college, where it involved books and human beings. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like at this point, it's largely uh, digital. Yeah, so. <laughs> you can do it all without talking to anybody. Yeah. <laughs> well, not if Veronica can help it. That's right. Today, we have Veronica Knausis, the director of the library here at Westcon, uh, coming in and talking to us about what are you talking about today? Um, we're going to talk about research starters today. How to, how to get started with doing your research, a paper or a project or, or what, whatever assignment you have. Mm-hmm. So for every student here, they should be listening to that. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Sometimes the hardest part of doing a paper or a project is, is deciding on what you're going to do and getting the information that you need to move it forward. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So we're going to talk about um, good resources that people can use, um, how to get background information, and um, how to get help from a librarian if they find themselves getting stuck. That's great, even right. if they're scowling at you. Even if they're scowling. You, that's not the first time you've mentioned that, so hopefully <laughs> that's not happening all no. the time. <laughs> um, no, hopefully they're not scowling at you. So um, shall I just jump right in? Yep. Okay, so sometimes it's hard to find the best resources or the best databases to use when you're getting started on a research paper, so we end up Googling a lot of things, and Googling isn't bad at all, but I wanted to bring to the attention of our students um, three really good good resources to get um, what we call background information on a particular topic and help you narrow down or focus what you want to research. Um, And you can find all of these resources by going to library.wcsu.edu slash databases um, and then just uh, looking for these titles. One of them is called something called Credo, C-R-E-D-O. And this is a database that brings together lots of different encyclopedias and journal articles and um, information um, that will help you kind of define what your topic is. So let's say you wanted to do a paper on the American Civil War. You can go there, just type in Civil War, and it'll bring back a whole bunch of information about how it started, what was involved, how it ended. Um, And then it will give you an opportunity to kind of sift through that information and decide how you want to focus your particular paper. Same with any other kind of topic. Um, And so it's very, very useful for you to get a feel for the breadth and the scope of of what it is you'll be researching. 
just as a as a disclaimer, so everybody understands, these, everything that I'm talking about today are background sources, and these should never appear as sources in your paper. So um, if you have not had experience with this before, there are other resources that you will use when you start getting, but this is just a way for you to get started with your research, um, and it gives you kind of factual information, background information, re- reference information for you to make some decisions about how you're going to go forward. So credo reference... Um, is really, really useful um, and it'll even give you some hot topics. So if you have no idea what you're going to do, um, you can always just kind of log on there and they'll they'll kind of give you an overview of what people, what the popular research topics have been in the past week or month. Um, so it gives you an idea of, of, of kind of what is happening in the research landscape. Um, so that's really a really good one. Uh, the second resource is something called CQ Researcher. Uh, and that is takes a slightly different approach to um, background information. And in this one, it's a pro-con approach. So they'll give you some background about a particular issue. And they're mainly social issues. So maybe gun control, maybe abortion, maybe voting rights, whatever it is. They'll give you some background information, how, how it became an issue, um, what the two sides, and then it will provide provide a, a pro-con, somebody who is, supports gun control and somebody who's against gun control. Um, and then it gives you further readings. Again, this is all background just kind of to get you into the topic and it will give you some other options on, on how to kind of follow that topic through so you find a, um, a good space where you can get your real research done. Now, so once you kind of get it defined for you and you feel you know which side you land on, then you can, can, can do some additional research. Um, so that's called CQ Researcher, again, from that library.wcsu.edu slash databases. And the last resource that I want to suggest that you try is something we're all familiar with, um, Wikipedia. So back in the day, um, the, this was kind of abhorrent <laughs> to reference librarians that you would ever use Wikipedia, um, which is, as for those of you who don't know, a community-edited encyclopedia, um, but it is super useful to get you started on a topic. That doesn't mean that it's always right. Nothing is always right, Um, but it does have a lot of really good background information, and you're looking for things in Wikipedia that have been sourced, what we call sourced. So you will, when you read, I'm sure everybody has read a Wikipedia article, Um, but when you do, you'll see their numbers, and just like you write a paper, and at the bottom you have to put one, two, three, all your, the resources that you use to write that paper, people are doing the same thing um, on Wikipedia. So um, again, nothing that you should, that you read there should become part of your paper, but it gets you into the literature, it gets you into the topic. Um, So those are three really useful resources when you're just like, oh gosh, I have to do this paper, I have to do a a PowerPoint presentation, or I have to do a speech, and I don't know what I'm going to do. You can pop into Credo Reference, CQ Researcher, and Wikipedia. And of course, you always have the option of coming to the library and talking to a reference librarian. Um, we are trained, reference librarians are trained to ask you the right questions and get you to the point where you know what your next step is in terms of research. Research is a process. You can't walk into the library and be done with it in the same day, probably. You have to read things, look at things, um, consider things, then kind of start over again and over again until you have a good a good suite of resources. But those are some really good ways to get started with your research. Talk to a librarian, use those three resources. There's a bunch of other things you can do too, but those are really good resources. 
This episode of WCSU 411 is brought to you by the WCSU Career Success Center, which offers a ton of great resources for our current students, as well as lifelong support for any alumni. Uh, they'd like you to know about an event coming up, Life Design, on Wednesday, November 20th from 1 to 4.30 p.m. in the Westside Campus Center, third floor. This one-session workshop will help you explore what motivates you, find energy and opportunity while creating up to three possible career designs. Based on techniques from the Stanford Life Design Lab, this workshop will teach you to apply design thinking to tackle the wicked challenge of life and vocational wayfinding. Again, that's the Life Design Workshop, Wednesday, November 20th from 1 to 4.30 p.m. on the third floor of the Westside Campus Center. Dr. Rada Krell does a lot of things over the science building. She teaches courses, she works in our tick lab, and when the Girl Scouts show up for a tour, she takes care of that too. Terrorizes them with hissing cockroaches <laughs> exactly. and beetle larvae. Oh my God. All right. In the science building, we are all very busy faculty teaching a lot of classes, but sometimes we actually leave the fortress and engage with the community. And so yesterday I had a really cool opportunity to meet with some Girl Scouts from Newtown and teach them about insects. And so I brought some Madagascar hissing cockroaches. I actually brought one with me today. Uh, I took some beetle larvae, um, commonly known as mealworms. I took some caterpillars. And uh, what was so cool is some of the girls were, were certainly um, a little tentative at first. And then by the end of the interaction, um, I had several girls who asked me if they could take home pet mealworms. Uh, one girl said, I used to be afraid of bugs, and I'm not afraid of bugs anymore. Um, we had a small incident with a caterpillar, and uh, one girl rescued the caterpillar, and she could not have been more thrilled to say, I saved a caterpillar today. Uh, so, you know, within an hour's time span, of just interacting with some live animals um, and receiving a little bit of information about what makes them unique and special. Uh, by the end, uh, the girls had a had a new appreciation for insects, and um, I think I and they had earned their insect badge by the end of the meeting. So it was fun to um, to get out a little bit and uh, spread the scientific word beyond the gates of the university for a little bit yesterday. And now, recorded live in the basement of Whitehall, our co-host Chantel Williams. Hi, how are you? Good, how are you doing? I'm doing well. It was a busy week. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. It is busy. That's yes. what we're going to talk about, right? Mm -hmm. So, uh, last week, at the end of last week on Halloween, we had some posters and uh, other things, symbols put up uh, on campus in a couple of places. They were apparently put up by an alt-right uh, group slash neo-Nazi group who, um, uh, and they do these on ca campuses mm -hmm. around the country to stir things up and yes. get people uh, talking and um, then they come back and talk about uh, freedom of speech because we took down their posters, et cetera. Right. And you, Chantel, as president of this Black Social Workers Association and mm -hmm. your membership in the Black Student Union, Black Student Union mm -hmm. uh, took a leadership role in, mm -hmm. among students in um, coordinating a rally and um, responding to these uh, postings. Yes. Right? Yes. So um, it, it was an interesting experience because we didn't know about it until like Friday evening. 
Um, and so we have like a group chat, our club and everything with our advisors. And then um, one of the students, our e-board members, um, brought it to our attention after um, it was on Instagram. It was on like um, like reported on Instagram. So and then they sent it to the group chat and it was like, you know, everyone was very upset about it. And we was just getting all of like the facts together as to like what happened and um, when did this come back? Who is it? You know, and and what's going on and so when we heard about it we said okay something needs to be done um and then one of my um e-board members expressed that well like this wasn't like the first incident unfortunately that happened um that there was a prior incident and we want to know like what's going on so um my position in it was just help to organize like a unite against hate um so i I, myself along with the e-board members that friday night I was planning on taking a nap, but then when that news came out, we was just like, we have to go and call to action. So, um, and that's what us social workers do. And this was mm-hmm. like kind of my first real um, event with like advocacy and things like that, and planning something together in a matter of like literally two days. Mm-hmm. So, um, we got together that night and we made sure that we got all of the facts, everything that's going on, and then we looked at policies regarding this issue. What's going on? Why is this continuing to happen? Who are these groups and things like that? And um, we got other students involved other clubs involved it was and that's the big thing that we wanted we wanted not just us but we wanted to stand united and so when we reached out to other clubs and this was a matter of like 10 minutes like just reaching out to different presidents um mm-hmm. and and e-board members and coming together everyone has expressed the same feelings like you know we're outraged about this and something needs to be done um and so we decided to do like a united um visual like a rally to have the students be heard um and then we contacted president clark as well and he was um happy to hear that you know we were doing something as well and um was all for us being involved so um again we we pulled this together in a matter of two days so Mm -hmm. after contacting all the clubs um we got all the information we really had to sit down and say okay what are the points that we want to touch on um what is it that students are um upset about and expressing we know what we're upset about but again we want to make sure everyone's voices is heard so again we connected to the clubs okay what's something that you guys will like to reach out and talk about and what's something that one of our talking points should be um, and then we did a couple, we did research as well. We looked at the reports and it has been reported that from 2016 up until now, there has been no hate crimes, which was um, a false like, report. So we talked about that as well. We brought that to the attention. And that was like the main purpose of um, the Unite Against Hate was just to bring these situations to the attention and to make sure that students are heard mm-hmm. um, and to make sure that it doesn't happen again um, because a lot of the times and unfortunately it takes situations to happen in order for action to be brought up but we want to get it before it happens again mm-hmm. um, and then we want to know okay what exactly what steps are going to be um, what steps are we going to be doing in order to prevent it um, and so that's that's basically like that phase one was just getting the rally together and then um, when the rally happened it was a great turnout it was just nice to see everyone there from faculty to students to the president to everyone just uniting and um not being afraid to express how they really feel and that was one of like um one of the most powerful things about the 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 rally was just to see all students and these are students that you might not have have ever talked to before um maybe shy in class but when it comes to like you know a situation Mm -hmm. like this they're passionate about it so again i just want to thank everyone that came out to that and to the um students who 
stood up and expressed how they felt. And it was just it was not only just focused on race, but it was focused on gender, mm-hmm. um, accessibility, um, just different, you know, different. And it was from all different kind of point of views. And so that's what I wanted the most was just students to be heard. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was the point of the rally. And again, it was kind of like after it was all over, I kind of st- took a step back and I was like, wow, everything that I have learned about advocacy and everything, I actually we actually put it into action. Mm-hmm. Um, we had a great team. And we just literally put all of our skills together. And even our advisors were just shocked. They was like, wow, you know, you guys really pull this thing together. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were just advising us and helping us along the way as much as they could. But we really put just put our heads together and just did the best that we could do um, and just made sure that we got it out there. And it was just a beautiful turnout. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the main thing also was just to continue our efforts. So right now we're in phase two of their efforts and um, just staying in touch with president Clark. We have a meeting uh, set up with him um, to just discuss in detail, everything that, you know, was uh, brought up during the rally. Um, And then just going to step three policies and things like that and what's going to be done and just continue it and see it all the way through. And that's, that's one important thing. So it's not going to stop with just that. We want to keep it going and want to make sure that um, something is being done about it. That's a big part of advocacy, too, Yes, right? yes, yes, yes. And a lot through. of people, yeah. And, like, uh, you know, it's good. You see, like, this first part, but then um, some stuff may, like, fizzle out. And so we want to make sure that didn't, that didn't happen. Mm-hmm. The whole point of advocacy is just seeing it all the way through and to realize that it's not going to happen in, like, you know, five minutes. You know, change takes time. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something that we learn. But you have to keep at it. You have to keep going at it, you know, and until it's done, you know. Um, and even after that, just keep on with it. So um, it won't fizzle out. So that's our next phase. So we're, we're getting together, you know. Um, we just, um, yeah, we're working. Again, we contacted President Clark. So we have a meeting set up. And then we, it's not just my, like the BSWA, um, it's the BSU, it's LASSO, um, Western Beyond Borders. And they actually have a rally coming up as well. Um, hmm, right. It's about the DACA student, you know, mm-hmm. and that. So. Yeah, it was just wonderful. And I, I just really, we really felt the support, which is really what we wanted and just mm-hmm. to get everyone heard. So it was just an interesting and, and very uplifting moment for us. Yeah. Did on that Friday when you first heard about it, did you know and recognize what those posters were and the um, sign? I recognized some of the symbols, but like that flag in particular, I, I haven't seen mm-hmm. that symbol before. Um, and then when we dug up the information and saw like where it was from, it was. It was surprising, but unfortunately, it wasn't as surprising because, um, you know, the unfortunately, the time that we're living in. Mm-hmm. So um, and then, you know, the one that really hit home for us was like the N word that was spray painted mm-hmm. on West Side. So that really, you know, even to this day, that's something that was fought, you know, yep. a lot of years ago. And it's still, you know, being fought today. So. When we saw those two things, um, we just really was like, okay, we need to really do something and just let it know, like, be known that it's not going to be tolerated, you know? Um, And that's, yeah. So we were, it was a shock factor for us. Like, Mm -hmm. again, I was just laying down, you know, fully prepared to take a good nap. Mm -hmm. Um, And this information came and we were just like, you know, what in the world? You know, what's going on? Um, And then what's being done as well. So. So, you know, and you've heard, I think, some of the um, pushback from, the people who put up kind these kinds of things, yeah. they say, oh, it's freedom of speech. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How do I feel about that? Yeah. So I, it's, it's hate speech. Mm-hmm. That's what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and th- th- I mean, that's just the basis of it. Um, it's, 
I, I don't know I don't know how they are wording it or exactly. I, I know like they have, you know, talked to um President Clark and you know, and he he even expressed like, you know, though no, this is not mm-hmm. freedom of speech, this is hate speech. So it's just like the fact that they think like this is freedom of speech and it's okay to say these things is the issue. Mm-hmm. Um and I think it's also a issue of not knowing, you know, and not trying to understand. I think that's a big part of it because understanding when you try to understand others, then you will understand why they are upset. Mm-hmm. It doesn't necessarily mean you have to agree, but you have to respect others, you know, and and try to understand. I think that's what's lacking, especially in the world today, that we don't um, have a res- like we don't have a respect for each other or expect for other races because we're not trying to understand other races, you know, yep. and why it's offensive. Um, and I think one of his name is John. He spoke during the um, the rally. Mm-hmm. He expressed it the most as to why the N word hit so hard for mm-hmm. him um, and why he takes it so personally. And I think the way he worded it was just the best way to his, you know, and he, he wasn't prepared to talk at all. He was just like, yeah. you know, it just hit home. And mm-hmm. I was like, you know, that's that's what happens, you know. So I think to for it to be labeled as, oh, this is just freedom of speech. We have a right to it, it's crossing a line. Mm-hmm. You put up posters that are, you know, if it was freedom, freedom of speech, why aren't you so open to say, it you know, out in the open and things like that? Why do you have to go about it this way? And why do you have to make other people feel low or, you know, disrespect others? You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? So, yeah, it, it's hate speech. And, mm-hmm. and that's something, again, it's a lack of understanding. You, It's a lack of understanding. Yep. You know, ask the questions. Again, you don't have to agree with me, but you do have to respect me. Mm-hmm. And, Good. Yeah. What, uh, how about your experience here over the last four years? Have mm-hmm. you uh, experienced things like this before here on campus or um, campus Personally, related? no, I have not experienced things like this. Um, so it was surprising to me that her, to hear that other incidents like this have happened. Um, cause this was my like first, like in my face, like experience that has happened. And it's unfortunate that it's like my last year, you know? Um, but yeah, I have not had any personal experience happen to me, but I take it personally sure. because it, it's happening to people mm-hmm. that are around me and it's happening to a place where I should be able to feel safe at and call, you know, and go to school at, and I hang out right. with my friends and I spend most of my time here. So, mm-hmm. um, it, it, I take it personally in that way. Um, and just, Hearing like other incidents that happened that did happen to my close friends and things like that, um, it, it hurts, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's just like I wish I would have known sooner so I it, I could prevent this incident from happening, you know. You know what I mean? So, but it's okay. It, it's it's not okay, but it's okay that I wasn't able to know then because I'm doing something about it now. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's yeah. And uh, as you said, President Clark spoke uh, during the rally. And he, um, you know, mm. went kind of crazy about it. Were you good with that? <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, he got um, very upset and frustrated. I mean, it's a frustrating thing, you know, mm-hmm. um, especially when you see your students hurt, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, one kid said, like, I'm not proud to be a West Coast student at this moment. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's that's something that hit home because, you know, you want your students to feel proud about where they're going to school at, where they're going to graduate from. Yep. Um, and so it was, you know, he's he's frustrated and he has every right to be. And so that's why we're just going to continue to work to make sure, you know, this doesn't happen because it's also aware of like, I'm not sure if he was fully aware of the extent of how it affects students. So mm-hmm. now that he sees and how he, you know, and he hears it in our voices and our, in our, you know, speech and everything, you know, it hit home, I think. So, yeah. <laughs> yep. 
higher ed gets uh, criticized by some people about being, um, you know, talking about safe places and mm-hmm. a safe place to learn and to mm-hmm. not have to look over your shoulder at uh, whether you're being attacked. But that is what I've told a couple of people who've called. Mm-hmm. That is uh, what we're looking at, you know, um, mm-hmm. uh, that these posters they put up weren't neutral they were attack on an attack on um a safe place for Mm -hmm. students to learn yeah um whether they um can call them free or win a free speech case in court is uh not really what we're talking about we're talking about having a place where students everybody is welcome yes and well you know including people who have uh different ideas Mm -hmm. uh than you and i do but Mm -hmm. um like you said, it's where you can discuss them and have res- in a respectful Respect. way. Yeah, right. Um, and again, a lot of people don't know how to do that. You know, <laughs> <laughs> that's 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 what I I came to the conclusion of. A lot of people don't know how to have conversations like that, um, mm-hmm. uncomfortable conversations, I will call it, because um, you don't always have to have a conversation with people that you agree with. You know, mm-hmm. that have the same opinion as you. It's okay. It's it's encouraged and it's it's good to have a conversation with people that have different opinions. So um, I always try to hear everyone out. You mm-hmm. know, I state my opinion, you state your opinion. We either agree or we disagree, but at the end of the day, we're respecting each other, mm-hmm. you know? But wrong is wrong at the end of the day. Um, and, and that's something that is not... true, too. Yeah, right. so, you know, there is there is wrong, and there mm-hmm. is, you know, so... Um, and there... But, it's, again, it's just a respect level that's missing, so... Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. The, when you talk about wrong, the, the symbol they put up was a uh, mm-hmm. flag based on a Nazi battle flag, yes. somewhat modified, but it's uh, that's where its origins were. Yes. And and that's what I'm saying. That's that's wrong. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, there's no you can try to explain as much as you can. But um, here's what I'm saying. If you use that symbol that already has negative connotations to it, mm-hmm. you know, you're already making a statement based off of that symbol. You mm-hmm. know, um, if you're saying, oh, no, we don't follow those ideologies, uh, you know, those ideas. Why are you using those symbols? Right. Uh, create our own symbol so mm-hmm. that we won't connect you to that. Mm-hmm. But when you're using a symbol like that, um, you're basically saying, OK, we agree with what was done. Yeah. Um, and so we're trying to modernize it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's the issue that I have. And that's not right. That's mm-hmm. that's wrong. So, yeah. yeah. Were you able, ever able to get your nap in? No, it's okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this week has been crazy, but it's okay. Um, next week is my birthday. So I'm oh. going to get <laughs> in order in honor of my birthday. I'm just going to take a good nap. <laughs> so <laughs> I was going to take a good nap. But um, no, I wasn't able to get my nap. It was literally like two seconds. And you know how you're just about to like mm-hmm. go into deep sleep, like REM sleep. Yeah, I was, I was you know, I was just <laughs> it's hard above to come that, out st- of that too. Yeah, I was just above that stage. And the next day I know, and then that just woke me up. And so mm-hmm. I was like, all right, well, time to get up and time to get moving and get this done. <laughs> so it's okay. <laughs> but, good. Yeah. All right. Well, next week we'll talk about your birthday. Okay. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> Thanks, Chantel. Thank you. Thank you, as always, to Pete Puccio and producer Scott Volpe. Without them, I'd be nobody. Wow. Yeah. That's I mean it. <laughs> uh, if you're listening to WCSU for the first time, you can download all the episodes at iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and anywhere else you go for your podcasts. Listen every week, leave a review, tell us that this is the best university podcast that you've ever heard. That's why we've won all our awards. If you're a member of the alt right, 
don't bother leaving any message. We do not want to hear from you. Everyone else, thanks for listening. And for Chantel Williams, this is Paul Steinmetz on WCSU 411.